the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat, and because we have fantasy flight asymmetrical LCG results, the pointlessness of a 4-4 tie. This is Strange Assembly episode 139, Knowledge and Defense. And really, having a 4-4 tie in a Star Wars LCG game is a match is not really the same thing as a nil-nil tie, you know? But I am Chris Stevenson. Here with me are Mike Cook. Yep. And Jay Earl. Hello. And you're listening to Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. This is the place where sometimes I say things about like, oh, this is our website, and here's our Twitter feed. And so should I mention the fact that our Facebook account is basically broken because Facebook is obnoxious? No. It's supposed to be set up so that whenever we put something on the website, it automatically puts a notification on Facebook, but Facebook changed their API to try to make everybody use Open Graph, which was bad enough in and of itself because now you have to use the proprietary Facebook plugin for WordPress, which doesn't really work well, if at all. And right now, I cannot make it work. It's very uh very frustrating. Working as intended. <laughs> yes, yes. So that's probably why we actually lost a Facebook follower. Oh my god, I'm wounded <laughs> to the core. Um I'm I'm yeah. They're always in the last place you look for them. Yeah. I'm sure they just quit Facebook entirely. I'm sure <laughs> that's what it is. That's what everybody does. Yeah, so today uh, we're gonna talk about two things. We're going to talk about the Star Wars LCG, and we're going to talk about Doomtown Reloaded. I had hoped to do this last week, but I... Actually, as you guys may remember, I was it was starting to kick in on Saturday night, the night of the, the day of the, the Star Wars regionals, where I was losing my voice, and my throat was really sore, and then after that I got sicker. And as anybody who listens to this podcast knows, if you took out the part where I talk... It'd be like three minutes long. If that. Yeah. So, but yeah, we, we did have the, the local Star Wars LCG regionals, which I, I played in, and I think you were going to play in, Mike, but you're, oh, you were apartment hunting, I believe? Yeah, I had to go scout some stuff. Yeah, what kind of excuse is that? Life. Life. Jeez. That excuse is that it was last weekend, or was it the weekend before last? And I have to get out of this house by this upcoming weekend, which is June 28th. Yeah, yeah, no. I have to get out by the end of June, so it's kind of important for me to find. They give you two weeks' notice, get out? No, I had longer than that. I just hadn't found someplace. So, let me say in advance, you should not take anything that, that Mike or I says about the Star Wars LCG as, as some sort of sage advice. So let's make that clear. Lord, no. Yeah, so I went and I played in the regionals, and I went with these completely innovative everybody who flies the Falcon, Smugglers, and Spies deck, and Sith Control, right? That is completely new and different. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> for my Smugglers and Spies, I don't know that it could possibly be more standard than it was. It's the Falcon pod, the Chewie pod the Han pod, the Lando pod, and the, the Aquarius Freeholders pod. 
the only thing I was thinking about was I, I was uh, originally going to have to try to do a Jedi Splash, but that seemed to work less, so I went back to the the Lando, Freeholders, Smugglers and Spies only. It's that or Sleuths. Within the affiliation or just generally? Because there were a lot of Hoth decks because of the new... The Speeder deck seems to at least locally be fairly popular, especially because that's some different variants on it of, of what I've been seeing. Is what I have been seeing. Yeah, no, no, yeah, I, I definitely saw that. But I, I don't know, the, the sleuth sort of side, one of the things is that because part of the reason that I like it, the game, the Star Wars, is because it is Star Wars, it actually does matter to some extent how much I like Star Wars-wise the stuff in the deck. Like, I would have a very hard time playing a scum deck because I just don't like those characters. I'm not interested in them. So, unlike, I think, everyone else at the regional. Because, <laughs> man, there was a lot of... Yeah, come on, who doesn't like Dengar? <laughs> it's alright. I know them, right? I, I think I can name all the dudes that uh, that Darth Vader had there, along with Boba Fett, uh, you know, go get the Millennium Falcon. They had their five seconds of fame or whatever. No, no, they had their five seconds of screen time, <laughs> 30 years going of fame. Hey, I mean, Boba Fett is considered to be one of the most awesome kick-butt characters in the universe, and he got killed by a blind guy with a stick, so... That's right, you, you, mean, you mean terrible, right? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm a fan of him, and he's a bad character. Oh, well... P- people like him is what I mean by awesome kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and he's to be highly effective and whatever. I, I've got a Boba Fett hoodie, so you know what am I to? Who am yes, I to you talk, do. But yes, you do. But my other Rebel deck, which I did not bring because it would have been bad, but I enjoyed it. Was was essentially along the lines of I want to use the Speeder Luke, but not just a straight Hoth deck. So I ended up with this sort of weird amalgam thing and then my the other dark side deck that i've been playing that i did not use is just navy kick you in the face which matters only to the extent that i have both copies of vast re- of the vast resources in it and so the tiebreaker when i was deciding what to do with the final pod for my sith control deck was well if i make it the one vast resources pod then i have to bother taking it out of the navy deck and i don't feel like doing that <laughs> which is really a, a terrible way it actually it, it actually worked out reasonably well though because i'm trying to remember if it would saris have been the one that i didn't run two of and the saris pod is amazing it would have been it definitely would have been worse so i did not do particularly well with the smugglers and spies decks which i think we can completely put down to me being incompetent because it's not like the deck was bad right it's 80% exactly what every other generic smugglers and spies deck that goes around smashing people's faces is. Star Wars is um uh, is a very particular game in that because the sets are so defined, it's very much a game of game knowledge, of seeing what sets your opponent have out so you can guess what they might have in their hand and what can come down. And most card games are like that, but Star Wars is especially that way to the point where it, it's kind of swingy because of that, but that seems to be like the, the 
the base level, if you want to do really, really well, is you basically have to know most of the cards in the game. Well, yeah, you, you'll see people, you'll go, you're like, oh, I, I see you discarded X. Now I know you have such and such card in, in your deck. Right. Not just you have this card in your deck, it's now I probably know what nine other cards in your deck are because I saw this one card, it's only in this one pod, and you, oh, heck, and theoretically, if it, even if it's in more than one pod, you can pick it up and look at it and see what the pod number is on it. Right. And yeah, and they, they usually have, have two of that, but I, partially it's because I, uh, I don't play as much as I should. I definitely screwed up in my very first game of the day, which meant my mediocrity was ninth place instead of make top eight and concede and then go play Doomtown with my play mat. But it was my first match. We ended up with a, a true tie because each of us won with our dark side deck, and then we had exactly the same number of destroyed objectives. Yeah, so so if I had destroyed just one more objective, I would have had one more point, and then that would have put me in the the top eight instead of tied for sixth or whatever I was, and then I, I lost out on the whatever the strength of schedule or whatever they did for the rankings. But no, I, I enjoyed playing it. I did better with the Sith deck, including I I had a definitely one game, maybe two, where I just really controlled it. I I had one game where I felt bad. I played this guy with a he was playing a speeder deck, and man, he just first he just could not hit with his attack pattern delta to save his life. I think he missed six times, or, or you know every single time, however long the game lasted. He just never had a guy on the board. I got Vader out, and so every single time he got people out, it was always use one event to kill a guy, and then use Vader to kill somebody else, because so many of you know, like Tauntauns and Speeders and so many of those things just have the one health, and being able to do that on my turn and his turn for extra extra Vader usage, just... Uh, I, I still like having two Council of the Sith in there for all those events. I felt like Mara really was not a high performer out of the the five pods that I used. I her herself or her, her cards. Uh, well, her herself, and I'm trying to remember what exactly is in the Mara pod, but Rage. But she must be. I, I maybe got to use Rage once. It's not that Mara's pod doesn't have good things in it. It's just that everything else has amazing things in it. And so I think if if I pick a pod that I like the least out of that, I think it would have to be Mara. Just a, a lot of people pick Council just because it's all events. Well, I know uh, one of my friends, what he was playing, he was playing with the Devastator pod so that he could Rage with Devastator and just blow a lot of things up. Yeah, a, a lot. I think the more popular or more successful one or the uh, probably maybe more successful I think both more successful and more popular thing to do with Sith control is to have Devastator in there instead of having a straight Sith. I actually played both of my decks just for no particular reason as straight factions. But I did find it interesting knowledge and defense, the let's call it the most recent one, like Join Us or Die literally came out today as we're recording. I don't have it. I've seen spoilers for most of it, but I'm not going to sit here and try to look all those up again and analyze it. So what is called Knowledge and Defense, the most recent of the the Force Packs, that seems just from top to bottom to be a massively, 
massively impactful force pack. I saw every single one of those objective sets in somebody's deck uh, at least once at the regional, and I saw most of them multiple times. The Saris pod I was playing with, that pod is amazing. Saris herself, Saris might be the worst card in the pod. I think Saris is the worst card in the pod. Uh, and that's mostly because she's four cost for two health. Yeah, but but Plan of the Prophetess, the objective, is amazing. Each enemy unit committed to the force loses one force icon. That's fantastic. That makes it so hard for the other side to actually take the force. Servant of the Dark Side... You know, it's got two force icons, so you can commit it to the force. Plus, it is great as a finisher because it's easy to forget how few units, especially in some decks, actually have more than one icon on them. Yeah. And especially if you've got the plan of the prophetess out, it makes it even worse. Yeah. If they, yeah, whatever they're, oh, your guy with the two was assigned to the force. Sorry about that. And so it lets you really go like, uh, okay, I'm going to attack with my servant, servant of the Dark Side, and I'm going to attack with Palpitate. Oh, you can block with, like, one guy. Well, I hope you can kill Palpatine with that one guy, because otherwise I'm going to be able to tactics your entire side down before you even get to defend, and then just blow up two objectives. <laughs> Dark Temple, this whole cycle of, of enhancements, the, the two-for-two two enhancements that pull one off every time you win the force struggle, those are uh, great. Yep. That is so much better than the Navy's just generic, I have a two-for-two two enhancement. And it's even got a force icon, which is not, I mean, okay, like, one force icon is not a lot, but I hear it's more than zero. Deadly Sight, it three kill you. Again, I mean, remember what I was just saying, you, you forget how many guys only have one icon, there are not very many guys who have more than two icons. Deadly Sight is, is just like three kill something. Kill anything that's not some awesome Jedi. You kill so much with Deadly Sight. And that, right, Seeds of Decay, it's not my favorite Fate card, but Fate cards are always good. It's got two, two Force icons. It's an amazing pod, I thought, anyway. And that deck is, can be pretty good at, at keeping the Force struggle. Well, what I think is really also really good about it is it's it's strong it as a one of or as a two of. Yeah, you you don't need to have a bunch of it to to throw it in. Yeah, so like like I said, yeah, I had been thinking about doing that one as a as a one of instead of so glad so glad I didn't. The Hoth Gambit, I think the Hoth Gambit is the reason why so many people were playing speeders at our regional. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the new pack really turned them around. Uh, yeah, I mean, you've got yet another Battle of Hoth, another resource. Reekin, I mean, with, with Reekin, just, man, you can, uh, so much healing. Snowspeeder counterattack, just one nuka guy. So healing, much edge. Wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, so that, that was all over the place. Along the Gamor run it is now one of the mainstream choices for just your generic smugglers and spies decks i think the biggest thing being being the objective which, which usually is just one free force icon but still that can make a big deal it's got the the deniba refueling station which is the again amazing enhancement it's got the 
possible. The, hi- the hired hands, the dark side ones I like are, are better. I think the dark side ones are better, but the, the hired hands could be pretty good. I mean, they're only really great if you've got the hyperspace marauder out because you just lose once and they die. But I don't I mean I think the Hoth Gambit obviously uh, the the objective is really good, but I think. As many good cards as there are in this pack, I think some no-speeder counterattack is what I've seen be most impactful. Because it's, I spend one resource and kill off the Emperor. Yes, no, no, I, well, I think both of them are. I, so much in that pack is, no-speeder counterattack is huge, but Hoth Gambit, at the start of the game, if it's one of your starting objectives, the other guy is not taking the force. Yeah. You are going to get it. Or he's going to have to commit more than he normally would, which is just the same. Yeah, it's, what's tough, the scum decks, the slave trade, I think many, many of the scum decks, I think, the again, the re, just like the reason we saw so many speeder decks was the Hoth Gambit, the reason I think we saw so many scum decks was the slave trade. Yeah. And, again, you've got... You've got slaver holding cells, so you've got the really good new resource, and galactic scum is kind of bonkers. Yeah. The fact that unlike hired hands, he doesn't die. You have to lose the force struggle three times before he dies. And you play this deck, I saw people playing it a lot with the Jawas, and so it really let you flood the board with guys with edge-dependent tactics where you just couldn't defend against them all. You'd especially, you know, I'm, I'm playing my big unit heavy Smugglers and Spies deck. I, I look across the table and it's like there's two Galactic Scum and two Jawas. So... Yep. Right, it's the usual, you attack with a guy with tactics. Well, if I don't block, I get tactics down. If I do block, well, then I kill your guy you don't care about and then the rest of your your team comes in unopposed and tactics me down all over the place. And this has even got some cards that I don't think are good. Like I don't, I don't think I ever saw anybody play the Zagarian Slaver. That was just a chuck it to the edge battle card. He seems pretty decent to me, as long as you're capturing, returning a card that you don't care about to draw two cards, especially at the end of the game, seems like it'd be really good. Well, yeah, you give them a card back, they get one, you get two. Relentless Pursuit as well. Relentless. I saw people play that. I have to say, when I Unless I really need to like activate an objective or something with the captured card, I look at Relentless Pursuit and I'm like, this is so edge battle fodder. It's got three, so it's extremely good in the edge battle. And that's really a pretty marginal effect. But, but but it also lets you look through your opponent's deck, which is the only card in the game that does that. Yeah. You get to look through everything. Bogs the game down. Yes, yes, you do get to see everything. Although... Well, it's it's one faction. You have to have a captured card. It's got three edge battle, uh, three edge icons, which makes it very, like you said, very tempting to use it for the edge battle. So, yeah, you could put an event in a Star Wars pod that cost ten and said action, nothing happens. And if you give it three force icons, I'm really okay with it being in my pod. <laughs> I I'm going to be chucking cards to the edge battle. I I am happy. With a card, with a with, with you know, with a pod. If if every card I, in it, I can look at it, and it's either something that's good or it has at least two force icons. I'm just completely thrilled with it. The last one, the flight of the crow. I think the flight of the crow is the one that's had the least ultimate impact. 
I think it's gotten as much play as it could, but it's still, but it seems hamstrung by the fact that people just cannot seem to get Jedi to work. I, I think it's, it's another piece of the puzzle that once Jedi finally hit their stride, well, and, and a lot of it is also that the Rusan colonist is not very good. No, he's not. He's and you get two of them in every pack. Yeah, well, and you you also have my allies. The force is not. I don't like my allies. The force. My allies. The force is amazing. This is half the reason to run the pack. Ah, that's just really, really good. I I mean that's that's really situational though. Well, number one, it's three force icons, so you know you should be happy for it. <laughs> I'm, yeah, no, no, I'm happy about that. No, that's why I don't care. But I mean, you have to win the force struggle and yet want to destroy everyone who's committed to the force. Yeah. So th- there are times when it can be bonkers, but I, it's very again, it's got the good objective. The unique Jedi units getting edge one when they attack, I think, is a huge deal. The only crow will blow up an objective every time it attacks. Basically, yeah, or or close to it, and taking away protect and shielding. The moldy crow shuts down my entire navy navy deck. <laughs> well, right, but I mean, the moldy crow is really meant to be an anti Sith card because they have so much protect. Uh, the, the the problem is that Sith has so much targeted strike and other things. They usually just take out the moldy crow really fast. Well, I think stripping protect is anti Sith. Stripping shielding is anti navy. Yeah, well, but with Mara, it's still a hit Sith. Uh, no, no, yeah, but it. I think the Moldy Grow is a good card. But you're, you're. I, I agree with you. The Rusan Colonist is just. It's it's such a nifty ability. But then it's like, well, everything else about the card is terrible. Yeah, it's terrible. One edge dependent unit damage. Oh, that's awful. For two, I'm committing him to the force, but he's only a one. Edge one is really good but uh, you're not getting anything else out of it obviously the idea is that you play him and then commit him to the force and then you've got edge and you've also got somebody who's kind of helping your side and they can't give him too many force icons because with that ability then all of a sudden he'd be broken oh no if you gave him they'd have to cost him out if he had two force icons he would be nuts i feel like he could have been I don't. I feel like he might have been one in one. Well, the other problem is you don't get to use his ability until the next turn, or until you're defending, because you have to commit him to the force. So unless you're using some kind of card effect, you don't get this edge until the next turn. Yeah, yeah. It, and especially as a two of, if this was like a one of, it'd be more tolerable. Yeah, uh, but having two of in this pack with one a force icon, it's it's pretty rough, especially because. Valley of Jedi is good, but it, it also only has one. So you've got one card with three, one card with two, and everything else with one. Yeah. It's had the least impact. I think it's doing that. But I, that's my kind of thoughts. I'm excited to be actually playing it more again. It really was hard getting back in after that giant slump. I think the last time we talked about the Star Wars LCG was when Balance of the Force came out, which I was very excited about. And then pretty disappointed in i didn't feel like the the multiplayer i don't even remember what they call them now the raid decks whatever they were right as well as i had hoped and well heroes and legends is really where it started to mix back up heroes and legends was so impactful and shook up so much stuff or at least the start of it knowledge and defense is obviously because 
it feels like most decks have probably two, one or two of these. They've got something out of Heroes and Legends or Knowledge and Defense. Yeah, it's not a, you're not looking at the force pack and being like, well, these two are good, this one's situational, these two, well, one's bad, and one maybe the deck doesn't exist yet. Yeah, just all of these were clear uses for them. But, like I said, after scrubbing out, aka not making top eight, at the Star Wars Regional, we got to play Doomtown Reloaded, which uh, AEG uh, obviously graciously provided us with an advanced copy of, since I don't know how else we could have played it since it doesn't come out for like two months or a month and a half at this point or something like that. Somewhere around there. Gen Con, whenever that is. Not soon enough. Month and three weeks? I don't know. Let me check my Gen Con advent calendar. (laughs) You think I'm joking about that? They need to stop putting out stuff I'm going to buy at Gen Con. Although they did (laughs) announce Age of Rebellion is going to be on sale like the first week in July. The core book. Right, yeah. Yeah, I had kind of had that, as I want to do, had that sort of sitting in my cart with some other things and cool stuff, like... You know, I don't want to just pre-order a bunch of stuff because you know everything's going to work out well. Sword and Fan for the L5R RPG came out today, and apparently, cool stuff had sold as pre-orders every single copy they had ordered because it immediately went it, it went out of stock after going back in stock. So I'm like, well, now that takes me back down below my hundred dollars, even if I buy it, knowing that I have to wait for the uh, Age of Rebellion core book. But enough about RPGs. We can we'll talk about that some other time. So Doomtown, so Doomtown Reloaded, I guess more specifically. We got to play Doomtown Reloaded, and it's it's sort of weird talking about it now because if we had recorded a week ago, it all would have been very like fresh first play impressions in my mind. And now my brain has sort of already moved on to dealing with deck building with the pokers. So. So what were your guys' first impressions of uh, of Doomtown Reloaded? And both of you did play the original Doomtown, right? Played it long after the fact, so okay. I'm not I'm not sure how much that counts, but yes, I've played I've played the original and so if you haven't already read their article where they talked about strikes, uh they they said they made a conscious decision to have fewer out of town locations and more in town locations. Because with all the out-of-town locations, it was very easy to not have anything to do with town. You would go out, you would have very defensive decks, there wouldn't be a lot of shootouts. You would leave town to get any control, and then if you needed to, you would run away. And, I mean, that was a lot of my impression of the original Doomtown, is often you would only get shootouts because you're like, let's have some fun and have a shootout, not for any real strategic sense. Whereas this... Controlling Town Square is the name of the game here, and you have a lot more shootouts that need to occur. And then also, because of the way they changed how casualties work, it's no longer the just insta-lose slaughter fest that it could be. It's bad to lose the shootout, but it unless you have a really bad hand like you did in our first game, that doesn't just completely get you out of the game. <laughs> so yeah, our my Jay and I's first game of Doontown Reloaded was was he was Sloan, I was Law Dogs, and uh, we had a shootout in Town Square on 
on turn one, and you won by like five, which just right. That I, was I, game. I was just such a, such a large discrepancy in our hand, ranks because I had like a a four of a kind, or maybe even a five of a kind, and you only had a pair, <laughs> and so like. <laughs> Half of your guys went to the discard pile, and the other half were just straight up dead. And yeah, if that happens, it's hard to recover from that. My extent of the old card game is buying a couple of the decks off of eBay. What few I could find, because it was after they had announced the relaunch, so everybody was trying to sell you a starter deck for like $50. But I found a couple that were reasonably priced, and I played some with Jay. But even... Even just with that, you could already tell how much the town part had changed. Like what Jay was saying about controlling town center and how different that is from the old game. It, yeah, the, they made a deliberate design decision to, I guess, for, I mean, to put it bluntly, to make the game better and actually f- and more fun. Uh, you know, that's one of the, the things that you have to be very careful to do when you have a CCG or some other customizable game is to identify what your core gameplay is. What's the part of the game that makes it fun? Why is it that people want to play this game? And that and tactics and strategies that make you do that need to be good. You need to avoid a situation where the strongest decks are playing things that avoid that. Right, your faceless deck in L5R your counter deck in Magic, what have you. Yes, yeah, right. So yeah, mag- Magic is a, as they do with most customizable card game design things, leads the way on that. They looked at it at some point and said, what is fun for most people about Magic is more like playing creatures and smashing with them. That goes for any kind of control deck in Magic. They really kind of tightly watch what they do with that now, more so than they used to. Yeah, you can have a control deck, but we won't. We don't want you to have a count, quote unquote counterspell deck. Right, a lockdown well, deck. Well, uh, yeah, but it doesn't even have to be a counter deck. It can also be a burn deck because burn decks can get almost as bad as counter decks. Just generally, anytime you let control of any type get too strong, part of good control is I'm kind of controlling your game and or and or making you make hard choices, and that makes my game easier. And not I'm stopping you from playing the game. Yeah, and with with the original Doomtown, it seems like the, the biggest I have sort of I don't know, degenerate decks. I, you know, I'm not really fully up on it. On the one hand, you had decks that were sort of I am going to completely ignore playing cards, like or almost entirely ignore it. I have a small number of dudes that I start with, and then my deck. I just don't care what it does, except that it makes a dead man's hand or has some hyper-consistent draw hand, so I always crush and shoot out, and then there's really no other considerations. And then on the other end, you'd have decks that were just like, I am going to just churn out massive economy, and I just don't care about drawing at all. I'm whatever. I'll win low ball. I'll lose almost any poker fight, but it won't matter because I can just outproduce and outcontrol you and who cares? Correct. We'll never actually fight. I'll just have... There'll be like 50 locations out there. You don't have 50 guys to take them over, therefore I get them by default. And hey, well, look, and, and the, control points. And they're out of town, so you have to boot to actually get to them. So you can't even 
get me into a shootout the first time you get there without an action card. Yeah. Or without some kind of card effect, I should say. Yeah, but they clearly made deliberate efforts to avoid that. Have they fully succeeded? That you know, We're not going to know until that game comes out, and then the Gen Ton tournaments, and then people for real has, right? Any Anybody right now, including us, who tries to tell you that oh, they've solved it, they know the right way, uh, is full of it. Even the Gen Con tournaments really aren't going to give you what the environment's going to be. That'll be the first look at the environment, but it's going to take a, longer than that for people to really analyze it and figure out what the decks are, what the decks to beat are, what decks are playable. Yeah, but but at least you can see by by reading the articles at I write it's alderac.com slash doomtown that they they have identified at least the objectives that they want to see. You know, they they yeah. said, yeah, we we don't want people just hiding at out of town locations. We want there to actually be shootouts, right? Like there's more tactical moving around. There's more shootouts. They're not just game ending shootouts every single time. And so you you see that they're at least going in the right direction. They've changed the deck building rules so unless you want to or i mean it's not the i guess the deck building rules and the like so you can't have more than four of one exact value suit combination and then also completely segregated the card types so if you want to play an almost all action deck you are going to be cheating really hard uh well, the, that was the, always the case, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the action types were segregated before. Oh, what's were they? Hap- yeah, no, what's happened is there used to be like eight card types, two for each suit. Now there's just four, five if you start including hexes as separate from items. But, I mean, there used to be on diamonds improvements in additions to deeds. I feel like there was at least one other card type but no yeah it always been segregated by type that you you didn't have a diamond action or something like that so then they moved those over because that like the upgrade like the auto cattle feeder um well i guess it, it's really a gadget so it does belong under right. the um the hearts yeah the hearts yeah but i mean i imagine if they made any more like those it would it would also go under hearts probably yes yeah, because mechanically, the, the way you... Right, it's it's not a card type anymore. Hopefully they won't, because this, I don't know if any of those were really good. They were either not good or they were broken. Yeah. Yeah, the, I don't know. The, the auto cattle feeder seemed decent. Like, as long as... Yeah. right, it, it, it gave the... It gives you one of your ranches, what, controller... Or not... Like, it doesn't give the ranch. It attaches to the ranch, and it has controller boot, get a ghost rock. Yep. So, that seemed pretty good. So... And deck building, I, I, I've been thinking about this. I was trying to write an article, and then I realized that y- even with provisos of I don't know what the heck I'm talking about, I'm really <laughs> having a hard time deciding what it is, like, e- even where to start. Like, I feel like they're going to at least succeed at their goals well enough that it is going to be an error to just ignore what your cards are except for their values. And so I sort of had this notion, like, well, I, I like to be able to win shootouts. I think that all other things being equal, if I am sitting down and playing this for the first time, I want to pick a deck that does shootouts well so that I can have my posse and kind of stomp around and not be off trying to do some more sneaky, tricky thing and then getting annoyed when I don't know what I'm doing and my opponent just obliterates me. So, I'm like, well, it seems like the easiest way 
to build a, a strong draw structure is to go for lots of cards of the same values. Flushes are extremely difficult to assemble. And straights aren't even that easy. And you know what? Full houses and four of a kinds beat the snot out of straights. Yeah. Well, and, and really flushes. Flushes are decently high, but they're really just kind of middle rank. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. They're still lower than full. I mean, yeah, it's kind of weird. Full house seems much easier to achieve than flush. Well, and when you're shooting for full house, it's really full house slash four of a kind, five of a kind a lot of times. Yeah, well, and, and, and even on the really bad end, if you shoot for a full house and you flop, you're still looking at three of a kind or, or two pair or something. Whereas if you shoot for flush and you miss, you have nothing. You probably, yeah, you might have a high card. <laughs> yeah, king high? <laughs> Maybe a pair because you've got a cheating pair. <laughs> Yeah, it's my two four of hearts. Eh? Eh? Because I like playing with Whiskey Flask. I think that's the only four of hearts. Yeah, so I thought, okay, so the most, the sort of extreme end of that, of what I thought I'd, I'd try to do is is to pick three values and play with 16 cards of those three values. And then your, your other four cards are going to be starting dudes. If you have a fifth starting dude, it would, I mean, it could be anything. You'll just one of your values will be short a card well you can just ignore them for values it, it doesn't matter what their value is it just matters that instead of 16 of each of the value one of your values will have 15 you know right well, because you're taking a card out of it yeah if they're the values you're shooting for well no even if they aren't the values you're shooting for if i i have an exactly 52 card deck plus mm-hmm. jokers so if i have five starting dudes one of my values Oh, right, because they come from the starting Yeah, game. yeah, it's right. not that they're one of those 16, it's just literally I only have 47 cards left in the deck. Right. Uh, but, yeah, whatever. So, I don't know... I, I mean, I like eights for that, because it's, it's really hard, at, and, or deliberately, right? This is the whole point, you've got to balance it. I'm just trying to go on one end. It's really hard to find a whole value where you actually want that. I mean, there's still going to be some parts of your deck that you are... Uh, you know, much more likely to want to be cycling every turn. But eight, I like eight because or a couple reasons. First, you're going to end up with 12 dudes in your deck on top of the ones that you start with, and that's a lot. And it's going to be a lot of the same dudes and how much upkeep you're going to have. But the, the, there's a neutral guy at eight, Stephen Wiles, He's a three-stud, three-influence. He only costs one to play, and his upkeep is six. So basically, right, he's just, I play him for a turn, and then I don't pay his upkeep next turn. That seems pretty good for filling out a draw structure, right? Is that how upkeep works in that game? Yeah, you can choose yeah. not to pay it. Okay. So, yeah, so I, get, I, I, I pay him for one, and next turn one upkeep will on the deeds side, since right, it's there's a lot of things that have one deed that I like, but the deeds are unique. So that makes me at least hesitant to just actually run four copies each of three deeds. That does not seem like the correct thing to do. No, not at all, because you yeah. only ever have three deeds. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like I want to have values where there's more than one deed that I actually want, and there's very few of those. One of them is again eights. It's got Pat's Perch, which is an out-of-town. It's one of, I think there's three out-of-towns. It might be the worst of them. It's definitely not the best. It might be the worst. 
all the out-of-town deeds are very economy-efficient, but are worth no control point. But Pat's Perch is the one that's pay one, and then it generates one every turn. And so I still think that's good. And then you also get the Circle M Ranch, which is as economically efficient as you can get with an in-town deed. It costs three, and it generates two, and it has a card draw ability. So, like, hey, look at that. That's a... that's a, a dude and a pair of deeds that I like that are in this. Almost every action has some really good action at that value. Reserves is the eight of clubs, or is one of the two eights of clubs. That's just noon, get a ghost rock. It cycles itself. I always want ghost rock. The weakness, which I think you just have to live with, is the... And, of course, this is true of most of them, right? The, the suit that I have the hardest time finding cards that I want is hearts. Yeah. I don't really want 12 attachments, or even if I want 12 attachments, they're only, like, very specific ones. It's not like there's one attachment at every suit. So, eight, if you're not playing Morgan Cattle Company, you need a mad scientist. I guess there's a mad scientist in Law Dogs. But... Flamethrower and Force Field are both eight of hearts, but they're both gadgets. So if you're not playing a deck that's got high enough pulls, which I I kind of like, since I'm limiting myself so much anyway, I I think it's very hard to have a high well, pull deck. Don't they need like a seven or an eight? If my deck is aces and eights and fives. Oh yeah, then you're just not a ace is low. <laughs> yes, ace is low in Doom Town. Yeah. So for for those who... Yeah, don't be like, oh, I've got aces and eights, both of those work. No. No, no, yeah. And I think at least, presumably, again, I'm assuming intentionally, some of the higher values are one of the ones where I start running out of things. I, I don't know. Well, I mean, I think, really, the way I would look at it is basically you could have... You probably wouldn't want it to be quite a fifth, but probably a little bit less than that you could have as kind of dead-ish cards just for their values, because you do get to flush one every turn. And you're, if, you're, if you're sitting on one card a turn, that's really not that bad. I think I'm okay with that. So I guess the point being, I don't think this deck is going to be a pull deck. <laughs> right. right. I, mean, I think they've gone from the old Doomtown where you could structure your deck around the pull and so cards get included entirely because of their value, to now it's, especially when we're just the base set and it's very limited card pool, then it's like those last couple of cards you're including because, well, there's not a great option, so I'm going to go with the one that matches my pull value that I'm going for. Your draw value. Sorry, your draw value. So you, you still have some amount of that, but it's now at the end of the deck to round out rather than the beginning to build the entire deck around. So and I'm okay, right? If I if I like three of the cards and and the big the the big draw, like I said to me, of the eights is that I can actually play with two copies each of two different deeds that I like. I can put in four copies of a dude, and he's a cycling dude. So it's not an issue, like, if I draw a bunch of them, and or I don't have to try to cycle them away, because until you get your deeds doing it, it can your deeds going, it can be hard to really play much in the way of dudes. And it's got a good action. I'm almost always happy with the actions. But if you aren't able to 
do the mad scientist and make the pulls at the eight of hearts, your one option is quick draw handgun. It's a plus one bullet, and that has a cheat and resolution. I think it lets you trade hands with the other player. So, you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to lose. Uh, no, I didn't. The downside is that there are quite a few good cheating reactions, and I'd like something that was, uh, I guess, a little bit sexier. I like, for example, I like pair of six shooters more. I feel like that is a really, really strong gun. Just, I mean, it doesn't, I, you know, what? it doesn't even add a bullet. So maybe quick draw holster is is better than I'm giving it credit for because it still gives me plus one bullets. But a pair of six shooters only cost one. That's the one that it's cheating. Resolution is to change the value of one of your cards. And that can take your hand from, oh, look, this was going to be a seven. Now it's a ten. I've just gone from killing one of your guys to nuking you. Well, and I'm assuming this is all that you're looking at. It's basically going to be coming out of Sloan. Because you're going really heavy on being able to shoot well, Sloan is the most obvious option. Because one of your possible strategies is I march a bunch of dudes out into town square. I dare you to come at me. And it makes sense for Sloan. It's actually thematic for Sloan. I, that's part of what I like about the design currently. Or, I mean, of what we've seen so far is Law Dogs actually have a reason. If you like this one card better than this other card, there's a reason to slip it in because you actually want to make a legal hand more frequently than other decks do. But you, you probably still want decent chance at a hand. So it's going to be a little bit more difficult to deck build, but it actually gives you something of an incentive to actually not just build around, you know, just eights of spades or whatever. Yeah. What do you guys think about five-cost deeds? They're for the Morgan Cattle Company? (laughs) (laughs) That's basically what I think about them. Yeah, I I, kind of look at them like, well, that's nice, but I... I really want to be able to drop a deed, I mean, at least one deed on turn one, and five, if you lose low ball, you're not playing that. Even if you win low ball, depending on what your spread is, you might not be playing that. And uh. If you start with three in your starting pool, and you lose low ball, so you're at two, you generate three. As long as you just don't have anybody who has upkeep, that's five to play the deed, if you really wanted it. Yeah, I think you're in real. When you look, anybody who's any good, really, has upkeep. Well, I mean, it's the beginning of the game, so having a bunch of lower-value dudes is probably okay. Just something to hold them off. It would be an economy rush tactic. I don't think it would be any good either anyways, because there's only one five for three. So you don't really want to build your deck around one card. Not something that's just an economy card like that. I think there are several five for threes. Are there? Oh, well, I don't have the list in front of me. Okay, let's see. The Bank of California. I thought there was just one or two. Well, well, there's not a ton, but the Bank of California is an ace. That's a five for three. Wasn't the Morgan Research Institute a five for three? Pearly's Place is a five. It's a five for three. So there's at least three five for threes. I thought maybe there was... Another one, but there's at least three of them. So, so that's what you could potentially do if you didn't, if you for some reason really didn't want to play Morgan Cattle Company. Really, I think it's just it's something that you can put in your deck as a one or two of, and then you play it more like mid game rather than playing it just rush early. 
and the one that specifically prompted me to think is uh, again I, aces seems I, I I don't know aces seems how good aces seems depends on how I'm feeling about lady luck at the moment I I was feeling like <laughs> aces well I was feeling like I liked aces more and the reason I I'm it, it's pertinent for aces is that aces the two deeds at aces are pony express which I definitely like and the other one's Bank of California, which I would l- I'm like. I get the whole it's five thing. Unless you're playing f- fourth ring and get to use Soul Blast, you're getting pair of six shooters as your attachment, which I like. You sort of run out of exciting things to do most of the time once you've got the dudes. But I mean, Clementine Lap is an ace. Both Sloan and Law Dogs have a cheap. Ace Ali Hensman is a possible starting card for Sloan. Lucy Clover, I don't think you, you wouldn't start with for Law Dogs because she's cheap, but she has an upkeep. If you were playing Law Dogs, you could have two Lucys and two Clementines. And Morgan Cattle Company has Irving Patterson, who is definitely going to start in play for them, I'm pretty sure, because he's just made for using their box. But when you look at the... Actions. I'm not a big fan of establishing who's in charge or hired guns. Lady Luck is a noon action. It lets you discard any number of cards from your hand at the end of your turn. So, you know, the bright side is that, man, this card is never going to get stuck in your hand, and it's going to make sure nothing else gets stuck in your hand. But I feel like something's gone wrong. You actually have to play that and get an effect out of it. Yeah, so I feel like that, but then I think, yeah, but dude, you're building a deck that only has 12 actions in it, which is the thing that I mm-hmm. really am not fond of. The thing I like the least about the value card, which is that I am forced, because I can only play with four of one thing, I am forced to play with all these attachments and all these deeds and all these dudes, and I... It's probably fine to have all the deeds, because that guarantees you get some early and you get rolling, and you've got some extras later, but whatever. But that feels like a lot of attachments, and that feels like a lot of dudes. You have to remember, Doomtown is usually a pretty fast game. Yeah. I mean, you're probably talking three to four turns at most. So you're only going to see so many of those cards anyways. Well, Or you'll see a lot of them, but it's going to be because they're in your, just your draw hands. Right, so you're not going to see them again for a while. Yeah, yeah. But still, I don't really want to, like, I don't want to draw a second dude, right, you know? Anyhow, I like lots and lots. There's lots of actions that are amazing. Bottom dealing is great. Sun in your eyes. Stakes just roam. As I write, I wrote on the website, at four of clubs, you've got three amazing actions. One good turn. I like that so much better than Lady Luck. Noon draw a card. And so if I'm only getting 12 actions in this deck that I'm building, and four of them are going to be noon cycle your other cards. But on the other hand, man, I'm going to have all these attachments. I'm going to have all these dudes. I'm going to have all these deeds, right? I'm not going to have the rock to play all of those. So I am going to have to cycle a lot. Curses, curse you. Mm, Decisions, decisions, decisions. I like that. I like kind of like I like it for the Star Wars LCG that it's not necessarily that the way that it does deck building is better or worse than some of the deck, but it's different and interesting and 
Right, has very interesting choices to make in the deck building. Yeah, yeah, you cannot just have, I'm going to put the best cards in, or just a more traditional, oh, well, I just have to have a, a mana curve kind of thing going well, on. I mean, it. you can just put the best cards in. The problem is your hand is probably going to be crap, so you can only do it to such a certain extent. Yeah, I'm going to put the best cards in, and then I'm going to lose every shootout. Bah! Well, no, no, it's more, it's more than just that. Part of the best card is the best card for your deck. It's not the best card on its own had, with nothing else. It's the best card in context. That's part of what it makes it interesting. Right, well, and, and also what you can get away with with shooters, because the higher bullet values you can get, the more cards you can mix in that are not that are kind of like offsuit or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So okay, well let's we are going to start straining the amount of time I want to spend editing here. So one last <laughs> one last Doomtown topic, which is, do you think that Travis Moon is amazing or terrible? Which one is Travis Moon? Re- refresh our memory. We're not cool enough to have the cards. He's the Mulligan. Oh, uh, he's amazing. I yeah. don't see not he's, starting him. I see not starting him. I feel like he is another really interesting design point for your deck that just like you were saying with the high bullet point values lets you have more flexibility in your cards. He lets you have less flexibility or yeah, no, he lets you have more flexibility in bad cards that if you don't start with him, you can have a better person starting in your posse, but you have you have to take whatever that first hand is. So if you're getting bad hands regularly, you're going to be in trouble. And especially unless you're, you know, really focusing in on actions or something. If we're, we're like I'm saying, oh, I want to have deeds in my opening hand. Well, you know what, Mulligan is I hear pretty good idea if you want to have consistent resources in in most card games. Well, and, and I think you, you also have to look at just his cost to value. On top of the fact that he can mulligan, there's not that many cards in the game that are you know cost you two with no upkeep. When he's got two draw bullets, right? Yes, yeah, he has two upkeep. He has no. We're not sorry. Yeah, he's two, got a two, two cost. cost. Two he's got no upkeep, so he's very cheap to include in your start. He has no influence as his drawback. Right, but, but I mean, uh, at the beginning of the game, meaning like the beginning of the card pool of the game, I don't see him not being your fourth person. Because you probably have three guys that are solid. You probably bought one mid-range guy who's very solid and is going to be like your core person. You've bought two kind of lower tier but workhorses. And for the fourth one, you're probably not going to... You either want, don't want a fourth person if you just want more money, or you're going to take him as your fourth because he's very cheap, for, especially for what he does, um, and in, especially including the mulligan. I think you're always going to have four. I don't see people running with with three. The- you definitely want four bodies. And honestly, he's bringing the mulligan to the table because you're, especially your starting guys, you either want influence or you want a stud to actually go into shootouts. Yes. Two draw is not horrible, but you don't want that as your shooter. No, no. The problem is when you, not the problem, but the sort of constraint is when you look at it, I think that you only want one guy at in for, I think for most decks you're only going to want one guy who has an upkeep and he only has one upkeep 
maybe Morgan can recover from that quickly enough that he can get away with it or, or something. But you only get one guy, and you know what? Your stud, unless it's like Tommy, the one stud yeah, from Lotto, your stud's yeah. going to have your upkeep. Yeah, and once you get past the guys with upkeep, that really cuts into your options for... Uh, it really cuts into your options. I mean, I think that the pre-made decks that they have are actually, for the most part, pretty decent. Obviously, there's some configuring you'd want to do when you actually have to make your own decks. But, I mean, I thought their starting posses especially were pretty much spot on for what you had available to you. Because you want, like, one guy who's, like, a mid-range, six or seven cost with, like, one upkeep, then, like, a couple more two to four cost guys, and then probably Thomas Mooney. When the game goes on, maybe you can actually get away with more guys who have, like, especially Morgan Cattle Company, I could see them getting away with more cheaper guys and then buying bigger properties and then bringing in the bigger dudes that have more upkeep. That seems like what that deck is basically designed to do, or one of the ways that you could take it. But at the beginning of the game, I I feel like you're basically always going to see him as the fourth. Yeah, and I think that the just random observation, I, I, I feel like the strongest card that you would normally see in a starting posse is Wendy. Two stud for six with one upkeep and shootout boot send an opposing home, dude home booted. Yeah. For law dogs, that seems really good. Pretty pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that that is Doomtown. If I guys if if I have not posted my article yet, feel free to chime in generally on what you think I should be putting in my three-value deck. And if I've actually put the article up yet, then you can go and look at that and tell me why I'm an idiot for not putting in sevens or whatever. So, kidnapping is that good? You gotta play with it. Kidnapping is pretty good. It is. It is. Kidnapping's pretty good, but the rest of seven is a very uh, Morgan Cattle Company sort of number. Mm. James Getty, the mad scientist who makes temporary money for gadgets, is there. Both of the seven deeds are ranches, including the out-of-town ranch. The two attachments. Is there a word for, like, goods and spells together? Because I'm just using attachments from L5R, but... I think there are technically just goods. I think spells are a type of good. Are they a type of good? Okay. Well, I'm, yeah. I've, I've been calling them attachments. Uh the two sevens of hearts are a gadget and a horse. <laughs> it's it's really yeah. The rest of seven, once you get past kidnap, it is just screams Morgan Cattle Company. Which is of course that's the point when you'd be like, okay, so Chris, don't play your stupid. I have to use sixteen of these three values. Just unclench a little bit and play the right, kidnappings yeah. and no other sevens. Yeah. Four is pretty good for us. Just play that. Play, play lots of fours, and then you can have ambush, and then you just toss the sevens in there. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's very very similar to what you're saying with Star Wars. It's you know I've got to consider all parts of this card slash pod as to what it's bringing to my deck and what it does. Yeah. So that is uh, Doomtown Reloaded. It's going to be coming from Alderac for a Gen Con release. I'm sure you will hear more from us about it before then and after then but for now you've been listening to strange assembly your tabletop gaming podcast you can subscribe to our podcast on itunes or you can 
subscribe via our website at strangeassembly.com, where you can also find a variety of mostly reviews and some strategy articles. Someday, you'll meaningfully be able to participate with us at facebook.com slash strangeassembly. In the meantime, you can read tiny little 140-character bits of, of, I'm sure, pure wisdom at twitter.com at strangeassembly. You can also contact me directly, chris at strangeassembly.com. I always like to hear from our listeners and readers. But until then, for Jay Earl and Mike Cook, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming. Draw, partner!